Hi, I'm Kimmy Robertson. Hey, Ben, this is David Duchovny. Twin Peaks is over 30 years old. There's so much more to learn about Twin Peaks. I, we recommend you pick up our book, Twin Peaks Unwrap the Book, to find out even more about the show that you love. We have tons of great stuff. We have over 100 interviews. We have commentary from the community. We have us. We have some great photos that have never been seen by most folks. I think if you're a diehard Twin Peaks fan, you're going to absolutely love this book, and you will definitely learn something new. So pick it up at bluerosemag.com. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. The Blue Rose Magazine is a lively, full-color publication that offers discussion, debate, news, and analysis about Twin Peaks, David Lynch and Mark Frost's fascinating series, Old and New. Every four months, the Blue Rose will examine Showtime's new season of Twin Peaks. It will also cover the original classic episodes and the feature film, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Expect essays that delve deep into Twin Peaks, interviews with cast and crew, reports on current Twin Peaks events, and a regular column about the music of Angelo Badalamente. Join co-editors Scott Ryan and John Thorne as they guide you through this singular, unforgettable work. Issue 1 presents an in-depth review of Mark Frost's new book, The Secret History of Twin Peaks, a report on the UK Twin Peaks Festival, an interview with screenwriter Robert Engels, an informative glimpse at the remastering of the Firewalk With Me soundtrack, a heartfelt tribute to Catherine Coulson, the log lady, and much more. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Hi, Brian. Hey, Ben. We're doing something very special. After last week's episode of Talking About Lost Highway, we got a little bit of history in today's show. Yeah, we got the co-writer of Lost Highway, Barry oh, Gifford. So cool. Yeah, he's you know he's written over like 40 novels. He's done plays. He, he wrote uh, plays of Hotel Room. He's done. He's also did the the book of Wild at Heart. So this guy, uh, he's been involved with a lot of stuff. And we're all in for a big treat. I got to learn a lot from this interview. He's got an amazing career. He has an amazing career, and I, I want to start reading uh, some of his novels, especially the Wild at Heart. Uh, I didn't know about the Wild at Heart sequels. Yeah, <laughs> I got. I'm going to run to my nearest bookstore and purchase it yes. because that is so awesome. And I didn't. Well, just listen to the interview. I don't want to ruin it but there's some cool little nuggets of information in there so we're on the phone with barry gifford so i, w I wanted to start off by saying like um how how did the wild at heart movie come about that how were you approached about turning your novel into a movie i had a phone call one day from david saying uh i love this novel and i want to make it into a movie right now <laughs> But the, the, what preceded that, Monty Montgomery, who was the, one of the three producers, as it turned out, of, of Wild at Heart, was uh, an acquaintance of mine, mm -hmm. a, a friend of mine who collected my work prior to that and uh, had come by my studio and uh, on his way up to what became Twin Peaks, mm -hmm. the, the filming the pilot of what was then called Northwest Passage. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, he said, well, he had some books for me to sign or whatever it was. He said, what are you working on now? And I said, this novel, and I'm done with the novel. I said, though, I may want to add a couple of chapters. Mm. And he said, can I read it? And I said, and Monty was a good friend, and it had already, you know, I'd sold it to the publisher, blah, blah. I said, yes, you can read it, but you can't show it to anybody. So the next thing I knew, and then Monty, I guess I learned this afterwards, he was thinking about, you know, directing it himself mm. as a film. But the next thing I knew, I got a call from Lynch. Yeah. And he, he said, I want to direct this, and I want to make it right now, and all the green lights are going off, and mm-hmm. that was that. That's something I had heard, yeah, that Monty had shared it with David Lynch, say, hey, what do you think of this? And then Lynch said, well, if I look at this, and I like it, and I, w- I want to direct it, are you okay with that? And he said yes, but it's funny that... Originally, Monty could have directed it. It might have been a ploy on Monty's part. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. When I learned it, I didn't even realize there's a whole series of Sailor and Lula books. that I mean, you were already working on a second book, I think, by the time they were working on the movie. And you've got a whole series uh, what? Of, of books. I need to see these. I know. I need to read these. It, well, there's even a complete, uh, a complete collection. Sailor and Lula, the complete novels. Mm are, you know, all published in one volume yeah. from Seven Stories Random House. So that has seven Sailor and Lula novels and novellas contained in it. And then the last novel that I published that just came out in paperback, The Up Down, which Lynch actually is highly enamored of, and there's a quote from him on it. Nice. Oh, nice. Uh, so The Up Down, so that's out now. And that's actually the eighth novel because it's the story of the son of Sailor and Lula after both of his parents have died. Wow. So there are eight, there are, there are eight altogether. No, I was writing um, for Dita Durango, yes, which is the second one, when David you know, and Monty got the rights to Wild at Heart. Hmm. And David said, I'd like you to write the screenplay. And I said, okay, but in about six months. And he said, no, we need it right now. And I said, well, I can't do it now. I said, why don't you go ahead and write it and send it to me, and then I'll be the creative consultant as far as that's concerned. And that was, you know, how it was done. Eventually, Perdita Durango, of course, was made into a film by the Spanish director Alex de la Iglesia with Javier Bardem and Rosie Hmm. Perez, James Gandolfini. Oh, And uh, that was in 1997. So that did get done as a film, too. So you were actually on the set of Wild at Heart. I mean, I don't don't usually hear of writers, especially with Lynch, actually having a writer on the set. What was it like being on the set to see your characters come alive through these actors? I heard, or David may have mentioned something to me, that he didn't like to have a writer on the set. But in fact, that's never been our policy. I mean, Mm. the thing is, yeah, I was welcome on the set of Wild at Heart, and then we did Hotel Room, and I was there every day. Awesome. Then we did uh, Lost Highway, and I was there every day. He wanted me to sitting next to him while he was doing it. But the thing is, you know, uh, sometimes dialogue had to be tweaked, like on Lost Highway or some added or whatever. And we were co-proprietors in that sense, you know, because we we had written it together. But the thing is, no, that was never any kind of policy, any impediment. Yeah far as we've been concerned because David and I have always gotten along so Mm. well I guess you know uh, it's been a wonderful friendship in fact you know his latest daughter you know is 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 named Lula you know Mm. we've always gotten along very well but of course it's you know it's fun to see your characters come alive on the screen and um, I'm no different than anybody else but in fact if you don't have a function 
in terms of the filming, you shouldn't be there. Hmm. And in fact, I was there initially. I mean, I was invited to be there and, you know, met Nick and Laura at that time. And, uh, you know, I was around periodically, but not to, to really contribute anything except for the fact that on the first day of filming, you know, I hadn't gotten back to David about the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And really, after the initial conversations, and because there had been some revisions made, and David said to me, well, Barry, how do you like the script now? Mm-hmm. You know, the shooting script. And I said, it's great, Dave, except you left out the most important line of the movie, or in the book. He said, what's that? Yeah. And I said, where well, Lula says this world is really wild at heart and weird on top. Oh, world, wild at heart and weird on top. Wow. It's like the thesis statement. Yeah. So he lo- he picked up the script and he, you know, went, scanned it and went through it. And he said, we're right there on the set. Nick was there and he said, by golly, Barry, you're right. Yeah. And so he did go back and, and reinsert that because it had been in, I believe, initially. But he put it in the right place. He put it at the penultimate point where she's a pregnant in the motel room in the Iguana Hotel mm. and uh, in West Texas and you know she's rueful at that point and so it was really exactly right for him That's to awesome. place the the line there rather than toward the beginning which is as it is in the novel mm. sort of like a thesis statement yeah. so it all worked out it all worked out very well but I wasn't around the set very much you know right. like I say for Wild at Heart because I didn't really have a function you know mm. what was done was done you know then we went on you know from there as I just left the set and went to the racetrack or the ballpark <laughs> uh, Lynch actually changed the ending of, of the movie how did you feel about that him changing it I think in the book they broke up, but they actually ended up together in the movie. The novel is the novel. But in fact, they do get back together, of course, you know, because otherwise how could the Sailor Mula novels continue? But they have a separation for about six months. But the thing in in terms of the the saga itself, but, uh, you know, David decided he didn't like to have a, a, you know, this kind of questionable, if not unhappy ending. Mm. And... uh, he said that that Goldwyn Jr., who was the distributor of the film, also didn't like that, mm-hmm. and so they wanted to have a, a more upbeat and a happy ending, and so that's when he added Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. light motif because he did call me up and he said because he knew I was writing more. He said the Sailor and Lulu get back together, and I said yes, of course they do, and he said that's, that's awesome. what I wanted to know. Yeah. And and that was the end of that. And then I didn't know any more, you know, until the film itself. I had been in France for about a month because the book was a big bestseller. Mm. Uh, this is well before the film. The film hadn't even been screened anywhere, let alone at Cannes. Yeah. But the book, the novel itself, came out in France and was very successful. Mm. So I was there doing publicity for a month. Then the guys came to town, first to Paris, and they were doing the opticals. Then I went to Cannes, and they screened it to see if everything, all the parts were working. Mm. And, uh, you know, I mean, in terms of the mechanics of the film itself. Mm. And it was like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning (laughs) in in the Grand Palais, which is a 2,500-seat theater. And it was just for, uh, Dave was there in the beginning, 
But it was basically just myself and Diani Sigvatsen, I think, who was one of the producers, mm-hmm. and Gene Siskel and his wife, and a couple of other people, you know, involved with the film. And in any case, uh, because Siskel and his wife were leaving Cannes and weren't going to be there on the Saturday night when the film was being shown for the public, so he was, you know, in tight with David at that time, and he wanted to see the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a long, funny story that goes with this because Gene Siskel and I knew each other from way back, from a couple of times. We had even gone to kindergarten together. Isn't that something? Oh, my God. And and then we didn't meet again until we were both at Cambridge University together in 1966 when we played on the American soccer team. Wow. And he reminded me somehow that had come up. And then uh, I didn't see him again. Until 1990, when I was asked to meet him and bring him over to the Grand Palais. So, in any case, that's that's a, a side story, but but it was a funny one and all very friendly. But the thing is, it was quite a shock actually to see the film in that circumstance because if you only have a half a dozen people there in a 2,500 seat theater, the sound is enormous, you know. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But Dave came up to me. Before the film started, before the film rolled, because he wasn't going to stick around to watch it again. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said to me, Barry, after you've seen this, I want you to describe your reaction to me with one word. <laughs> one word. So I said, okay. <laughs> so the next day he said, well, what's the word, you know? And I said, how about two words? And, yeah. he, and he said, fine. And I said, not boring. Uh, <laughs> not boring. Not boring. I think that's a compliment. That's pretty good. We had a wonderful time. Yeah. Did Gene Siskel like it? He did. He did? That's good. His, his wife, I think, at the time, was she was a little nonplussed. She was a bit shocked and yeah. brutalized by yeah. the film. I think today people don't realize what an enormous impact that film had at that time. I mean, on the audiences. I mean, people were really taken aback mm. by the psychological violence of it. In some aspects, that's what Dave you know, chose really to convey. Mm. So it was a pretty amazing kind of debut for that film. We're a Twin Peaks podcast. I was wondering, were you ever asked to be involved at Twin Peaks, like write a script? Never. Okay, because I think I think you have an amazing writing style. I love Hotel Room and Lost Highway, and I'm starting Yeah, to- but don't forget, David, David started that project with Mark Frost. That's true. And now that, you know, the new Twin Peaks, the right. Twin Peaks Redux, is also Frost's project yeah. with Dave. And so, you know, Frost was the writer on that. And I know and there there were other writers, of course, right. who came along later. But David was, in fact, had been started filming Twin Peaks and interrupted his participation mm. with it to make the feature film of Wild at Heart. Yeah. So, no, I never had anything to do with Twin Peaks at all. Okay. So next we move on to Hotel Room, which is like a three-pilot program. How did you get involved with Hotel Room? Well, it wasn't a three-pilot program. It was it was a pilot show in a sense. Hmm. The the thing was, no, I was asked to be one of the three writers hmm. to provide a script for the first episode of Hotel Room. Yeah. Or the or in the first you know hour that Hotel Room was going to show and. Monty came to me and David, and so I gave them tricks. Mm. And, you know, I wrote tricks for them, and that was all fine. And then they were having trouble getting a third one, Mm. and uh, or one that was acceptable to them, and asked me for another. 
And I said, well, when do you need it? And they said, well, we need it right away. And so I wrote it in two days. And that's a blackout. Uh, blackout, which turned out to be the most popular one. Yeah. Definitely. It's definitely my favorite. But in any case, the mistake they made with that, and it, it, they, as Monty admitted later, was that you know David and I, our two, were very well received. And the middle one yeah. was written by somebody else and directed by somebody else. But Monty said many times later that they should have done three by me. In fact, I did write a third, which is in the book. You know, there's a book, Hotel Room. Yes, I have it. Mrs. Uh, uh, Trilogy. Yeah, Mrs. Cashfee. Those plays are still performed all over the world. I wow. mean, you know, as a result of the publication of the book and but really all over the world it's been terrific mm. so hotel and the book is hotel room trilogy of course is still in print that's what they should have done they should have filmed the third one as i say monty who was the primary producer right. for you know along with hbo said that but we were kind of ahead of our time yeah. it really wasn't what hbo wanted they wanted more tales from the crypt and that mm. sort of thing but yeah. they're great and I'm, I'm so glad they were done the only problem now is it doesn't exist on dvd or yes they're not easily available and david in fact had told me has told me you know three or four times that oh yeah you know it's going to come out we're going to do it and blah blah I but i so. think it it has to do with the rights. It's a rights issue. I don't have any privy to that information, right, yeah. really. And David is vague about it himself. Mm. I mean, it's been a difficult issue. I thought when he put out that lime green box, you know yeah. that collection? Oh, yeah. And it has deleted scenes of a, of a Wild at Heart that I want to check yeah. out. Well, yeah. it's got an hour and 15 minutes. It's almost wow. like a second Jeez, version, yeah. a second movie. And it's great. It's great to have that stuff because... Uh, you know, we always wanted people to see it. Mm. But in any case, that came out, and that was the right place for, I think, you know, the hotel room, the two hotel room plays that we did. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, to have been included. But I, I think there were there are legal issues involved with that, and, and I really can't give you any details sure. about it because I don't know. And in writing these uh, these uh, these episodes, you seem to have a lot of freedom, and there were just a couple of rules that you had to follow in, in creating the, the show? Is that right? Oh, well, I had complete freedom, you yeah. know, and writing, and, and their plays, really, as mm -hmm. I told you. And so yeah. the thing is that they were the first plays I'd ever written. They didn't change a word, really. And I was there also on the set. And again, you know, a wonderful experience and brilliantly done. Mm. And, uh, you know, you write your first plays, and you, how could you do better than to have Lynch film them? You no, know? you can't I mean, do better and, than that. And to have people like Freddie Jones... Yeah. And Harry Dean in it, and you know yeah. that's. I mean, they they were all. Glenn Headley was brilliant, uh, and uh, Crispin, and you know it, it was, it was just an absolutely delightful project. And like I say, I think, I know we won our time slot on uh, HBO each of the three times that it was shown, ninety hmm. three. And uh, I was nominated for some Cable Ace Awards. Then yeah, they wow. weren't included in the Emmys uh, at that time because Cable was a whole different animal then. No, it's great work. And it's sort mm -hmm. of great lost or almost lost directorial work of Lynch's. Yeah. I think that he did a superb job and it should be more popularly or easily available. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. We, we just uh, we just covered Hotel Room. We did a show on a podcast yeah. on it. And a lot of our friends that are related to Lynch, Twin Peaks stuff, they were like, I didn't even know this existed. <laughs> and yeah. It's like, yeah, it's unfortunate that it's not easy accessible to check out. Well, you ought to bug Dave about it. I do. Know? We got to find a way. We, I want to <laughs> do that. Just 
do the two episodes you guys did. I agree. And maybe secretly do the third one. And then you could put it out in a, a DVD, and people would buy it just to see that third one that yeah. was never done. Well, if you guys if you guys come up with the money to film it, maybe. all right. Yeah, with Miss Cash Fee, yeah. you, it was actually originally a story, and it, well, it's partly based on your own life, right? That your your you and your mom went to. A well, yeah, but Mrs. Mrs. Cash Fee, yes, was originally. It's one of the Roy stories, and, mm. and it's in my book, The Roy Stories. Yeah. Uh, which is now being developed as a feature film. Oh, that's awesome. And I by think- Walter Salas, but but in in any case, what it was based on, yes, loosely, was mm. the fact that my mother used to like to go to fortune tellers mm. and would mm. drag me along as a kid, and so it was based on you know one of those situations. Yeah, and you kind of added for for hotel room, you added this idea of of a ghost, which is probably the most supernatural of all the stories they've ever told of hotel room. But I I thought it was really well done. And, and adding that element to 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 the show or the oh, play. Thank you. One more thing about hotel room. I I, I think a lot of people really love ho- uh, hotel room, especially blackout. And for me, uh, for a personal thing, it felt blackout felt very much to me about these two couples who ha- uh, were dealing with the loss of a son, and and how they couldn't communicate with each other. And I even felt like the fact that they were in the dark, physically in the dark, mm-hmm. was was an emotion feeling of being in the dark, and that when they were able to kiss. The lights came on, and they, they almost they were making progress towards maybe fixing or healing their relationship. Can you add anything about that story? Well, it it's, uh, portends a happy ending. Hmm. You know, they'll figure out a way to ameliorate the situation and live with the fact of the death of a child because hmm. there's nothing more tragic nothing more. than having, you know, a child die yeah. like that. Very so it's it's it, it so it it is powerful and it's 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 very interesting because I originally wrote it with the idea of the couple being older. Hmm. Uh, that's how it it's written and and they changed it. David did change that, hmm. put it in what in the 1930s, hmm. and with younger people, but it worked and uh, and it was beautifully done and uh, it's the one play in fact of the one acts that of mine that's done the most often women identify with it immediately oh yeah it, it's a great role for a woman i'm just glad that the reaction was what it was so it's the 20th anniversary of lost highway i don't even know, can't believe that that's <laughs> it's crazy. been 20 years what was the process for you with uh, with writing uh, lost highway with david lynch well i mean the fact is that david and i we'd actually worked on a couple of other projects prior to that you know, obviously there was hotel room, and mm. obviously there was my consultation with Wild at Heart, and then you know they had approached me. He and producers had approached me about you know writing other material, you know, as feature film, and we did a couple of things, but they you know didn't get done, or for one reason or another. Yeah. In any event, then. David came to me and he said, I haven't made a movie in four and a half years and I want you to write it with me. Mm. And that's what happened. Uh, we just uh, began. He had optioned my book, Night People, and had that for about a year. And he really wanted to make a movie out of that. And I said, you know, well, you know, we're a couple of people who are capable of having halfway of an original thought. <laughs> so why don't we just do something original and not have to be tied to a, a text that, yeah. you know, that already exists, right? right? So he said, oh, but I really like these couple of lines from the book and this and that. And so I said, well, let's take them. Let's use those lines, yeah. which we did. Huh. 
and which included the title and uh you know where one of the women says to the other we're just a couple of apaches you know riding wild on the lost highway hmm. and toward the end which eventually went into the voice of mr eddie saying you know you and me mr we can out really out ugly them some bitches can't we yeah. <laughs> and so so the thing is those lines you know found themselves in the movie in an important way and so that's what we did we just created something new under the sun that's something. It's probably, I think Lost Highway might be one of my favorite films of all time. It's probably one of my favorite of Lynch's. And I think that really has to do with uh, your writing and uh, Lynch's writing. Of course, the directing as well. But there's so much to be said about how well that, that script is. And I'm, I'm so impressed with it. Definitely. No, thank you. I mean, one interesting thing about it is that it has been and still is the subjects of classes in universities. Hmm, yeah. You know, from, I, I, I mean, I've been asked to speak at various times at basically at film schools like in Rome and in at Stanford just last year you know they have a whole class and in fact my youngest son took a class in Lost Highway at UC San Diego years ago wow. you know which was taught by a French professor who didn't know that my son was in the class actually wow that's funny he got an A and later when he found out he came to my son and asked him if he could show this paper that he'd written about it to me and to David or to meet us or something which, yeah. you know, that, that didn't happen uh, but in any event we weren't interested in that sort of thing but right. in any case that movie uh, has you know maintained itself in a, I think mm -hmm. a very important and interesting way and certainly has a great following that amazed me a few years ago about five years ago I was in Paris doing a, an appearance for a new book mm. that was published there and as part of this at the same night I remember they were doing a special screening of Lost Highway at the Action Francaise you know movie theater mm. nearby and I was asked to come to introduce the film Wow. And uh, I showed up and there were, you know, it was a pretty decent sized theater. I don't know. But there were like a thousand people. And wow. and this theater, I think, held probably 250 or something, you know, or 200 or something. And there were all these people in the street. And it was just like a big event. It mm -hmm. was shocking to me. It was <laughs> shocking, actually. You know, so it has life, you know. Yeah. It really has life. And, of course, there are many elements of it that show up in Mulholland Drive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like that. And, you know, it shows a consistency, a kind of a theme in there. But when Dave and I were doing it, you know, we worked very closely together and very well. And, you know, we were obviously extremely pleased with the outcome. That's Not all the critics were so pleased, but, you know, what can you do about that? Yeah, right. Yeah. You can't please the critics. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't making it for the critics. Yeah. You're um, friends with John Malkovich, and I was wondering... Uh, uh, had you seen that, that film that came out last year, uh, Psychogenic Fuge, where it was really uh, Sandro Miller who did like little clips from Lost Highway and Twin Peaks, and John Malkovich played the mystery man. Alice who? Her name is Renee. If she told you her name is Alice, she's lying. And your name? What the fuck is your name? John and I met in 1981. Uh, he had come, I was in Chicago doing promotion for a book mm. and he came to see me because he was then with the Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago and he and Glenn Headley came to see me uh, because he was interested in optioning a book of mine 
to make into a play hmm. for the Steppenwolf. And in any case, about 12 years later, and I had forgotten that I'd even met John. I, I'd <laughs> forgotten entirely that he had come to see me and, you know, I was in the midst of all kinds of other things. And uh, 12 years later, I was in Sicily, in Taormina, hmm. for the film festival there. And uh, I came walking into this restaurant, and Malkovich came up to me and said, Barry, it's so good to see you again. It's been a long time. We've met before, haven't we? At your house. Don't you remember? I looked at him, and of course I knew who John Malkovich was by now, because yeah. in, the, in the interceding years, he'd become well-known as a as an actor, as a film actor, I said, gee, John, I know who you are, but when did we ever meet? <laughs> and, and he reminded me, you know, recalled this meeting where he uh, and his then wife, I guess, Glenn Headley, who ironically enough, turned up in the play Tricks in Hotel Room. Oh, wow. Small That's world. Cool. And she cool? was great. Yeah, she, was she was brilliant as the as the hooker small world so john and i re-met and then since then you know seen each other been in touch periodically in fact he was instrumental in securing the steppenwolf theater which he no longer has anything to do with really hmm. for our play that Willem defoe and i did at the steppenwolf in 2009 about nelson algren the writer who wrote the man with the golden arm and all that and that film and the film of that has just come out Oh, wow. Called Nelson Algren Live. Anyway, but John had a lot to do with being a liaison with uh, Steppenwolf Theater, where it was originally produced and was a really nice success. In any case, yeah, so that's, uh, you know, the, the long story of... Yeah. Get, of, getting back uh, to Lynch and you, uh, there's a quote that someone said that you take, you, be, you take the extraordinary and you make it seem like it's an ordinary event, and David takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. That was said by my old friend Vinny DeSirio, who is a plumber. Oh. And but but Vinny and I have been friends since we were you know twelve thirteen years old. Yeah. And uh, and he then you know became friendly with David as well because Vinny's a very bright guy and I've often had him with me on film projects hmm. and and other things and he's the one who made that observation and I oh. believe that it got picked up in an interview with David in that book of Chris Rodley's Lynch on Lynch. Oh, yeah. I think that uh, that Rodley, who also interviewed me, right. uh, mentioned that, and, and he, he brought that up. So people have seized upon that at various times, you know, and, and yeah. repeated it. But they, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think that David necessarily thinks that's true. Hmm. And you'd have to ask him. Right. It's a bit facile, you know? Yeah. I mean... And and I don't always go for that sort of stuff, but uh, you know those kinds of uh, even-handed conclusions. Hmm. But yeah. it's it's not entirely without you know reason, and it's probably true. But we leave the you know the analysis to the analysts. Right. You know, let the let the let the uh, critical thinkers make their determinations. Yeah. Yeah. We just do the work, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
And with Lost Highway, there's this whole idea of the psychogenic fuge. Psychogenic, psychogenic fuge. Psychogenic fuge. And, and am I right? Fugue. It's not, fugue. It's not fuge. It's oh, fugue. Fugue. Ah, fugue. Fugue. Like fugue, like in music, you know. Right. And am I right that you had heard about this through a woman on a plane? I don't know if she was a psychologist or... I did, yes. Yeah. Uh, David always repeats the story that a unit publicist came up with this. And I think it did happen almost simultaneously, in fact. Huh. But what happened was we'd written the first draft of the screenplay. And then I had to take uh, a couple of weeks out because I had to go to Spain and elsewhere to do promotion for a book or a couple of books. And uh, when I was on the plane, I happened to sit next to this woman who was a psychiatrist and she was teaching at Stanford at the Mm. time. And she's a Swiss woman. Her name was Manuela Kogan. She really was unfamiliar with my work or with David Lynch's work. She didn't watch TV. She didn't go to movies. She didn't read novels. She'd asked me what I did. And, you know, we just had this conversation. We were flying from San Francisco to New York and where I was going to catch a plane to Barcelona. I described this tour, you know, what we were dealing with, with the plot of, you know, the, of what became Lost Highway. Mm. And uh, I said, do you think this is feasible? Does this make sense to you in some way? And she said, oh, yes, what you're describing is a psychogenic fugue, huh. a fugue state where somebody, you know, is overwhelmed by a particular problem and develops this condition where they can only escape but within their own mind. Mm. So at the airport at JFK, I called Lynch, told him what happened, and that this woman had come up with the, you know, this analysis. And I, I know this really did happen. Now, it could be that uh, the unit publicist at some point in there also came up with this. I, I'm not sure uh, of the nature of, of that event, but in any event, that's what I know happened with me and my then repeating it to Lynch. And in fact, we invited this woman, psychiatrist, a professor from Stanford at the time. She's, I think she's back in Switzerland long since. We invited her to the premiere. That's great. That's awesome. And she, ca- and she came. Wow. Wow. That is something. She was great. Manuela <laughs> Kogan. And, and she said this was, you know, was, she got a huge kick out of it. It was a great thrill yeah. for her. And she was a delightful and brilliant woman. And uh, that really did happen. That is something. That, that is, is really, really cool. cool. And so there was deleted scenes, and I think one of the deleted scenes from Lost Highway would have been that David Lynch actually was in the film as a morgue uh, att- attendant. Oh, I would die to see that. <laughs> that is so cool. Do you remember that? Do you remember Lynch actually taking part in the film? Well, that part was severely cut. There mm. was a lot cut out of all of that, because, and which was really kind of too bad. I think that was one of the few times I wasn't there mm. when they filmed that scene, because... The important part about that scene is the woman who's in attendance, and she's wearing spike-heeled shoes, and you only see her legs and the shoes and the noise that the heels make on the floor. That was something that got left out. Lost High was another film, like like Hotel Room, where I would like them to come up with a Blu-ray. At least here in the States, they don't have a Blu-ray version of it. Well, there was a guy who called me not too long ago who was going to do a Blu-ray version of Lost Highway. But it it wasn't authorized. Let's just Uh, put it that way. And and so I don't know whether it ever got done or not. I didn't participate in any event. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. 
And I was just wondering, uh, how much of the OJ trial influenced Lost Highway, like, do you think? Like, well, you have to ask David. Then. Okay, All of right. course. <laughs> yeah, because I definitely see similarities, and I think somebody, I don't know if David... David Lynch, not... yeah, he mentions how uh, he was kind of obsessed with the OJ trial yeah. at the time. But, and yeah. how, how someone could um, uh, commit an act, but then has to, like, live with that act, and how, how what a mental state they would have to be in the rest of their life to trick themselves... That they didn't do it. Can see the connection, but it didn't yeah. influence me in any way. That's good to know. What influenced you? What influenced me? That's a good question. I, I think it was really organic. It was an organic situation. And, and I know this is an abused and overworked term these days, organic. But it did just grow in this mm. sense because the screenplay really went through a number of changes in the sense that in the beginning, in fact, it was quite comedic. Hmm. And so we didn't really know where we were going to end up with it, but it took its own form. I mean, David had the story uh, that he had had in his mind for some time about someone receiving videotapes of their life, and they didn't know who was doing the videotapes like that. And so that was there, but that was rather vague, but interesting. Of course, we adopted that and integrated it into the film. We had a lot of ideas. Mm. You know, there were a lot of things. But, you know, I'll tell you something, write something, it's uh, based on the characters. It's really, I let the characters take over. The mm, characters yeah. have lives of their own, and I let them go through the paces, you know? Mm. And we follow them on, on their story. I don't start with ideas. Mm. I, I never do. I mean, it's not like, I mean, it, there's no rules in any of this. Yeah, yeah. In other words, if you're basing it on a book, it was one of the reasons why I thought, let's get away from the book. Mm. Let's not have another situation like people come up to me and say, well, what do you think David Lynch did to your book? Wild at heart, in this case. Yeah. You know, I say, he didn't do anything to my book. The book is still there. <laughs> yeah, he didn't change yeah. a sentence. Yeah. You know, so I said, that's why I like the idea of doing something wholly original. Mm. Yep. But we could borrow, we could borrow from anywhere. Yeah. You know, I mean, as far as that was concerned. And so basically, I let the, you know, the characters that we create or that I create in a novel say, let them carry the action. And once I understand who the characters are, then it's pretty easy. Hmm. Then, then I just follow along. But of course there are writers who say, well, I'm going to write a novel now based on the Holocaust, hmm. or I'm going to base it on the, you know, the Civil War, or, I'm, you know, yeah. this and that, or, or some incident in the Civil War. Or what, what you guys make it up, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, the the yeah. thing is, I don't start that way. I don't work that way. I work with the characters. I want to know who these people are before you know I deal with them in any specific situations. And they'll tell me, for lack of a better explanation, they'll dictate the action mm. to me. So then it comes through me, and I think David certainly works very similarly in that kind of organic way. And, you know, it's very beautiful, and it's mm. much more satisfying to me. And also dealing with film, it's such a different language entirely than writing a novel, say. Hmm. It's, you know, it's something else entirely. Yes, it is literally a different language and, you know, a different form. Hmm. And, you know, the obvious thing to say is, you know, you're showing, not telling. But in fact, you are telling. Hmm. But yeah. you have to find a way to do it without so many words. Yeah. I know you've been quoted before as saying, I'm not interested so much in the plots I'm interested in the people, which is what you're just basically what you're saying, which 
I think is wonderful. I, I like yeah. it that you, you do spend a lot of time with character study and really, you know, developing these characters that you, you tell. Thank you. That's yeah. right. The last thing I want to say about Lost Highway, really I want to say is that, you know, there's this, the Black Lodge Theater in New York. And I think you were, you were here just last summer. I mean, so we are on ah. the East Coast. We missed you. But I think this past summer you were here for the Do the Blind Dream play that you did. And can you share, mm-hmm. can you share with us that, that theater group? Like they've put on some of your plays in the past, haven't they? The woman whose company it is, Alexandra Solati, she's a director-producer, and that's her outfit. And she had done the hotel room plays at one point. But I think when she was part of a different group, I mean, there have been so many productions of it. You know, theater-wise, I can't keep up with it. But in any case, she, she did that, and then she came to me and asked me if I had anything else that she could possibly direct. Hmm. So she loved my story of Do the Blind Dream, which was originally published as a novella. Hmm. And I said, but I had made it into actually first uh, a film for uh, a TV project, which never came to fruition. And then I decided it was better served as a play. And so I made it into a play. And uh, so I gave that to her, and she loved it. And uh, she's done a couple of staged readings of it and in New York. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with the plan eventually to do it as a full-scale production off-Broadway. So that's where it's at right now. And, you know, and, you know the, the stage readings are very important because then you see perhaps, you know, what needs to be added, what needs to be deleted, how it needs to be shaped in one area or another. So that's still uh, a work in progress. I was very curious about uh, your novels and, and your other writing. And uh, ChicagoIce.com has had your Fridays with Roy, and you every holiday season you come out and put a story out. And I, I was reading those, and they really are great stories, especially the stories with Roy. They're really something else. Well, most of them are, are collected in a book that exists called The Roy Stories. Mm. That was published a couple of years ago or three years ago. So you can get that, the Roy stories. They're all there. And now in October, a new book of Roy stories is being published called The Cuban Club. Ah. So you have the Roy stories and you have the Cuban Club. And as I say, uh, a feature film now is in the works. I sold the film right. And I do like the Roy stories. Some of the ones I've read, in some way, he, he's kind of an observer. He's there, and things are just happening around him. They're really interesting stories, and I think it's a great way if somebody who hasn't read your work maybe to start off with the Roy stories. You're right. I mean, you know, to to me, I think those stories, you know, it's all, again, it's all like one big work. It's like all the Sailor Lula novels, you know, and it's great to have them all collected because they're all connected. You don't have one without the other. You know, they build on each other, and I think the Roy stories are certainly the closest to me mm. uh, in in terms of, you know, of the work, but of course it's fiction. I'm glad, you know, you like the stories you've read, but you should pick up the Roy stories, and then in October, the Cuban Club, and you'll see them all. Yeah, nice. I, I need to pick up the Roy stories, and I need to pick up Lula and Sailor stories. Yeah, definitely. So there's a, there are a bunch of stuff. Is there is there anything else you want to share with us that you're working on? Uh, well, no, I just finished, actually, The Cuban Club, like mm. I said, which is the new book of, of the Roy stories. And I've got a, you know, I've always got several things going at the same time. Mm. And uh, I guess I will eventually be 
doing work on the screenplay for the Roy stories. Mm. And there's a couple of other things going on, but I don't really like to talk too much about what I'm working on. Sure. I think because you never know how it turns out or in what form or like, and I, I prefer it that way, you know? Yeah. Unless I've got something immediate. So I'm telling you about stuff that's not, you know, out yet or sure. not done yet, you know, and those things. And so let's just leave it there. But guys, listen, it's been lovely talking with you, and I appreciate your interest. I really do. Thank you. And I'm sure Lynch does as well. And you'll have plenty to talk about now when the Twin Peaks Redux comes I out. Can't wait. Yeah. yeah, very excited. And uh, you'll have a lot of fun with that because there's 18 episodes. Yes. You got your uh, work and you know, all this pleasure ahead of you, so you're lucky guys. Well, thank you so yeah. much. And I hope that Hotel Room comes out on Blu ray one of these days so more people can appreciate your work well keep bugging the right people and it might happen i I like you know i'd like to see it myself even though i have it you know in that sense you know i mean it doesn't matter sure it should be more popularly available because Mm. as i said i think it's wonderful almost lost directorial work of david's and certainly Mm. i'm proud of the two uh plays that we did together and yeah it should be easily available for people, but mm-hmm. in any case, I am glad that in the lime green box, at least the mystery disc, I think as it's called, mm. uh, has that hour and 15 minutes of outtakes from Wild at Heart, and that's a gas to have, you know, because, mm. you know, I mean, originally, you know, that movie was four hours long, you know, wow. but, you, you know, you can't get that into the theaters. No. Right? So that's the way it goes. But listen, guys, I got to run. Thank you, Ben. And for your time. thank you for your interest. I appreciate it a lot, Ben. And, and Brian, good luck to you both. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Have a good one. Thank you again, Barry Gifford, for your time. And uh, it was great having him on the show. It was a lot of history there. I mean, it was really cool to hear about, you know, the making of Wild at Heart and Hotel Room and Lost, Lost Highway. Highway. Oh, it truly was a special show, mm. I think. What an amazing man. He was so generous with his time. He so. really was. Thank you. Oh, man. Ben, I, I can't get over it. We're, we're, we're hitting these interviews pretty hard this year. It's great. <laughs> I know. We started the year off right here, right? Yes. Sherilyn Fenn <laughs> and now uh, Barry Gifford. And if you like these shows, please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us that five-star review. Give us a nice little review. We would like to get on the top 50 at least for arts and entertainment on iTunes. And let's get all the Twin Peaks podcasts Oh, yeah. Up there. And, you know, it's so important that, that rating and reviewing us on iTunes, it makes it so other people can hear hear about our show. Yeah. And really, that means so much to us, and it makes us really excited to go out there and try to get some more interviews like this. So, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah th- this is why. Right. We read a good review, and Ben's like, I got to get a good interview. <laughs> I'm like, people people expect more from us. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got to reach higher and higher. Yeah. And we're getting there. So I think we have a lot of more surprises up our sleeves for 2017. Thanks again to Silencio. You can find both their albums on iTunes and Apple Music, CD Baby, Amazon, and more. Also, you can write to us at twinpeaksunwrapped.gmail.com. We, we've we gotten some great letters in the, the old email account in the last couple weeks. Oh, yeah. We got to make more time for this and uh, read those. And then also, Facebook is kicking ass. A couple weeks ago, I said, hey, it would be great to hit 350. Mm. We're surpassed 350. That's We're awesome. going 400, That's baby. So, cool. yeah. so like us on Facebook. We're also part of the Reddit community for Twin Peaks. We also got on the Tumblr. I do post some art, and I post our show on Tumblr. And Ben, how's Twitter going? 
Twitter is amazing. Is it Twitter? We, it's incredible. We're over 10,000 followers. Yes. Now. How amazing is that? And that's so cool. That is so amazing. I mean, I, I just love the community. I love that they're they're supporting us, and we're always having conversations about all sorts of stuff related to Lynch, and it's, yeah. it's really awesome. That is really cool, that 10,000 followers. Yes. So. I, that's, that's incredible. I mean, I never thought we'd get that high. I mean, that's just amazing. It is amazing, and that's all to the people who listen to us, so thank you. Thank you very much. The community at large... Uh, you guys are just awesome. So, with that being said, I guess we're out of here. We'll be back next week. There was a thing that we discovered after the fact, um, a name of a certain illness, uh, psychogenic fugue, which has a beautiful, beautiful feel to it. Psychogenic fugue is sort of what uh, uh, the film is. It comes up in people uh, with some sort of illness. <laughs> um, and, and illness is, um, you know, like a, a loss or great loss of balance. So um, sometimes we do things that throw the balance off so much um, that we're tossed into um, something like a psychogenic fugue. And that's, you know, Fred Madison. I get the psychogenic fugue almost every afternoon. <laughs>